0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we have a reading from the prophet Isaiah. And we are one week away from the start of Advent. And if you've been hanging around the church during Advent before Christmas, you may have heard some words from the prophet Isaiah. Here are some of Isaiah's greatest gifts for the Advent and Christmas season Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. A voice cries out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. Get you up to a high mountain Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a pretty good greatest hits collection, isn't it? At least for the christ the Christian Church around Christmas time. These are some very well. great piece of music. Well, the book of Isaiah is a precious one for Christians. In our lectionaries and our reading plans, Isaiah comes up more than any other Old Testament book. You hear it so frequently. Well, it's also beloved by Jewish people. And remember, what we call the Old Testament, they call it their scripture. They call it the Tanakh. And they've, they've had it longer than we. have. But for them, Isaiah is also really precious. It comes up in their lectionaries more than any other book of their scriptures. It's a well-loved uh, piece of writing. In the early church, in the first centuries, our greatest teachers of the faith talked about Isaiah as the fifth gospel. You know, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who write biographies of Jesus' like. Well, for the early church, Isaiah was a fifth gospel. It was like another telling of the life of Jesus. Because, you know, you read some of these greatest hits, and it just Jesus, 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 you see them all over the place, if you come with that lens. Of course, for Jewish people, they're not reading really that lens. So they read these treasured uh, writers very differently. And because the church has a little anti-Semitism, it's always good to point out that uh, these are their scriptures before their ours, we inherited them, and we read them very differently. And we want to respect the way that Jewish people read their scriptures, uh, while also feeling free to read them in the ways that we do. It's not a problem to read the same thing, the same words, and come to a different interpretation or understanding. there is no one Christian way to read these verses. There's no one Jewish way to read these verses. There are many ways that we read scripture because these ancient words are also living words that speak to us here and now. And they're words that can have a surplus of meaning. Not that anything goes relative, they can't mean anything, but they can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. And they speak anew and afresh to each. Generation, Because, of course, we have a God who is always speaking. Through all the stories of Scripture, we have a God who wants to be known and to know. God is always speaking, right from the beginning, right? In the creation, God speaks creation into existence. We have God speaking to servants like Moses and Mary. And we have God speaking through prophets like Isaiah. So, what's going on in that reading we heard from Isaiah today that might speak to us today, here and now? Well, Isaiah is writing in a context of imminent political threat. The Assyrian Empire is gaining steam and rolling through the surrounding countries. They've already taken over Syria, it's already taken over the northern kingdom of Israel. So, if you remember your biblical history at this point, we have the kingdom of Israel, which is united under the first three kings, Saul and David and Solomon. But after that, then there's a split. And you have the northern kingdom of Israel, with ten tribes that band together in the north. And you have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, which is centered around Jerusalem. Now the northern kingdom of Israel has already gone into exile. The Assyrians have come, they've conquered them, they've sent them away and we will never really see them again. But here's Isaiah, and here are the people in Jerusalem, and the Assyrians are knocking on the door. And the king of Assyria sends his Rabshakeh to Jerusalem on a mission of intimidation. The Rabshakeh comes in in a loud voice, in the language of the people, so everyone can hear, and no one's going to miss this. He says, don't think your king has a see. And don't think your God can save you. Have any of the gods of any of the nations that we've conquered been able to save them? Surely your God is not going to do it for you. And it seems like the rapture has been successful. People are afraid. Uh, they're even taking a posture of mourning. The king has torn his clothes and put on sackcloth. And then they consult the God Isaiah and he gives this classic Biblical message. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God will act. God will step in. And that's a constant theme in the book of Isaiah, this this belief that God is involved in history, that God is taking a hand in current events. God's getting involved. Isaiah lives at a time People in Jerusalem are under threat, and they're feeling like they're going to be the next ones to fall. And Isaiah's job is to interpret these events and interpret what God is up to in these events, because there's a big theological problem here. If you remember, when Israel is first called, God gives them some promises, and one of them is the promise of the land. This land, there national and religious identity is wrapped up in this place that is now under threat. So Isaiah is trying to make sense of what does it mean to be the people of God when the very thing God promised us is under threat. And so themes of judgment and punishment come up as a way to explain what's going on. Their place in the land is being threatened because God is angry with the And God is angry with the people because they have fallen out of a right relationship with God. And how do you know that they've fallen out of a right relationship with God? It's because they're not taking care of each other. And they're especially not taking care of the vulnerable people among them. Social injustice is like idolatry for Isaiah. It's so serious. You can tell a people that have gone off course that they're chasing another God because they're not loving one another the big command is love God and love your neighbor. And the people aren't doing that. So, Isaiah's asking the question, what is God doing? How is God involved in current events? Well, these political threats are God's response to the people of Israel, not loving God and loving neighbor. Do you ever ask the question, where is God right now? What is God up to in the world that we live in? I suspect if we brought in sociologists to survey us this morning, uh, if there are about 150 people here, we get 151 different answers to that question. What is God doing? And where is God What is God doing in a world where there are unjust and unnecessary rules? What is God doing in a world where there is famine? What's God doing in a world where people are threatened by climate change? What is God doing in a place where there are diseases that are treatable but people don't have access to treatment? What's God doing in a world where there's a growing gap between the few people who have absurd amounts of love and everyone else? Well, some conclude that God's not doing anything. God's taking a vacation. After all, God worked very hard to create this thing in the first place, God deserves a little break. Or maybe this isn't the kind of God we're dealing with. We're not dealing with a God who actually intervenes in history. Some people conclude that uh, if there is a God, this God can't be good, because no good God will let all these things happen. And some others say that God's involved, but God doesn't work in history. God only works in people's spirits. God works internally with people. And of course, there are still those people who are saying, all these things that are happening are happening because of God's judgment for our sins. Well, today we celebrate the reign of Christ. And Jesus talked a lot about the Kingdom of God. And He seemed to use metaphors of small things that make a big difference. So, in our gospel reading today, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. I was doing a little bit of baking last night, and I don't do a ton of baking, but I do enough that I know you put a little bit of salt in most things. And every time I do, I think, Is that enough? Just that little pinch, is that enough? That's hardly anything. But I've learned from experience, if I put in too much, that can be a problem. These little grains get mixed, you know, into the batter, and they make the whole thing taste good. Jesus also uses parables, saying that the kingdom of God is like yeast. Same thing: a little bit goes a long way. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed: a tiny little seed that goes into the earth and grows into something big. And when Jesus gets going in his public ministry. He starts small. He starts with a small group of people. Calls them one at a time, one by one, until there's just a a small group of people, and this is the group, the seed, that Jesus wants to use to start a movement. Margaret Mead has this famous quote that sums this up beautifully: "Never done." that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. It's the only thing that ever happens. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. It's the only thing that ever happens. I don't think she was talking about the church, but she could have been. She could have been. I think the church is exactly the fault of this small group of people that makes a big difference. the world. So where is God in the world? Look in the mirror. What is God up to in the world? Look around. Look around at the church that is around you. The small group of people that God might use to change the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others they might see your good works and glorify God. Amen.